Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Well, hello there. It is really great to see all of you today, and especially if this is your first time here. If, if you're a guest, a, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, what, whatever uh, brought you here, if somebody invited you, if somebody from our church gave you an invitation and you're here because of that, I just want to say to those that are part of our church family, good job, church, come on. Yeah, and it's really good to have you. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. Uh, today, I, I want to share with you, of course, <laughs> I'm going to share about resurrection, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and talk about His death, His burial, His resurrection and why that's important for us. Because, you know, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, today is the big day, right? It is the big day. Today we celebrate that Jesus who was crucified for our sins and died our death was not defeated by death. I, I want to look today, I want to ask you to come with me today and we're going to look in an empty tomb. We're going to take and place our hand in his side and put our hand in, in the holes in his hands and his feet. We're going to believe in Jesus today. We're going to go there together and we're going to look at the life of a man named Thomas. And unfortunately and kind of sadly, Thomas is often called Doubting Thomas. But, you know, really, Thomas was the everyman. He was that person who wrestles with skepticism, with not being sure, with needing to verify their questions, their concerns, needing to ask the hard questions. And so today, my prayer is that those of you that are here today, and maybe, maybe you've never really looked into the claims of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ. You've never really taken the time to consider this thing that we celebrate, the idea that one who died for us, was buried for us, crucified in our place, could come back to life and live and continue to live for eternity. And really what I want to look at today is the reality that He lives and He's here right now. I want to say that again. He lives and He is present in this room, listening to your conversations, your heart, listening to the thoughts you're having, the struggles you're, you're wrestling with, the cele celebrating going on in your life. He is present. He's here right now. In fact, more than that, we, we believe He's not only here, present in the room, but for those of you who have embraced Jesus Christ, He is within you. By His Spirit, He indwells you. And we're going to look at that reality today. So first of all, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about the fact that Jesus was crucified with a couple of criminals and died our death. So I want you to go to Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34, and verse 46, and you're going to see it up on the screen. Look what it says with me. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, 
he breathed his last. So this is just one of the accounts in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell us about Jesus' actual last seconds, last moments. And we know if you take all the Gospels and you put them together, we see that Jesus had seven different things to say from the cross. Seven seven different things that captured the human dilemma and our need for salvation. Seven different things that tell us God's heart toward human beings. And in this particular case, he says something profound, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that's what he's saying to each of us today, amen? But you know, here's, here's the reality. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then every one of us in this room are, we're in trouble. Uh, humanity in general is in trouble. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, all the things that we say we believe mean nothing. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is in vain. What I'm preaching is futile and foolish, and none of it means anything. It's a house of cards, and it all comes collapsing down. Jesus is just a martyr among many. He's just another man. He's no different from anybody else who's given their life in in an altruistic way throughout history. But if Jesus rose from the dead... He did something nobody else has ever done. He he changed the game. He became the hinge of history, the turning point of time. He's the one who started something new. He inaugurated an entirely new creation. He set something in motion that reversed the curse. He straightened out the crooked paths and he raised the valleys and he brought the mountains low. He came on the scene and was the history changer. It's never been done. Yeah, people have come back, had near-death experiences, or died and come back from death, but nobody's ever come back from death and remained alive forever. And that's what we believe. That's the central story of Christianity. And here's the thing. If it's true, all of us have got to wrestle with it. We've all got to consider it. You might be here and be a cynic or a skeptic. You might be an atheist or an agnostic, or you might just be a person that is kind of on a journey. You're a seeker and you're asking questions, hard questions. Here's the most important question of all. Is Jesus Christ who he said he was? Did he die for the sins of the world? Did he die our death and was he buried for us? And did he rise again from the dead bodily? Because if those things are true, The only thing we can do is kneel and say, Lord, save your master. That's our only response. And if they're not true, then let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. It's party time, baby. It's true. So then we see this in the Gospels. We see the story of Jesus rising from the dead. And the first thing that happens is on that early Sunday morning, some women went to the tomb and and, and Pastor Raul brought that out perfectly. You know, they went to the tomb and they looked and they had this encounter with Jesus and they went back and they told the rest of the disciples. And of course, the disciples didn't believe them. They doubted them. One of the reasons they doubted them is because they were women. They're like, hey, we're, we're, we're the dudes. We hung out with them. What are you talking about? We're, they're like, yeah, but we were down there at his tomb and you weren't. And he's alive. He's alive. So, you know, that had happened and the day had gone on and The story tells us that they were hiding, and we're going to see that in the text. They were hiding because they were afraid of the authorities because Jesus was, you know, he he was a rebel against the government, so they said. He he had sown discord. He, he He was a criminal. He was one not only deserving of death, but the worst kind of death. 
the death of a cross, a Roman torture device. And so, you know, the day's gone on, they've heard the story that he's alive and they're not sure about it, and we pick up in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 21, and then we're gonna drop down and look at verses 24 through 29. You can see it on your screen, but it says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, notice the details here, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The Jews here are the Jewish leaders, the authorities. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now I've shared this for years, but how many of you know if you're in a room, you've locked the door because you're afraid of those people out there, and all of a sudden, the one that you followed for the last three and a half years, who was brutally beaten, spit upon, had his beard ripped from his, from his face, had a crown of thorns beaten with a rod into his head, was crucified on a Roman torture device, and you saw him give up his last breath. You watched as the Roman soldier took a spear and put it in his side, and his side opened, out, opened up, and out came blood and water. If you watched all that, you watched him taken down and buried, and all of a sudden, in a locked room with your best friends, terrified of them out there who are coming to get us, Jesus goes, Whoop. he's there, Whoop. What are you going to do? You're going to need somebody to say, peace, bro. Because you're going to be like, ah! And so the first words out of the mouth of Jesus are peace, not peace, bro, but you know, that's what, in the original Greek, that's what it would have been. Peace be with you, shalom, peace with you. And when he had said this, I want you to notice what he does immediately. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he do that? He wanted them to know, it's really me. He wanted them to see he wasn't a ghost, an apparition, an hallucination. He was really there, and he shows them his hands and his side. They're like, whoa. In another place, he eats with them. He says, give me some of your food. Let me eat it. I want you to know that I'm really here. You're not high. Okay. And, and when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It took a while for them to be glad. Did you notice that? The glad is after peace be to you. Here are my hands. Here's my side. Then they're like, oh, it's Jesus. Before that, they're terrified. And then Jesus said to them again, and I love this. He says to them a second time, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then we drop down to verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That's curious. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, again, the, the writer, John, makes sure to let us know the doors are locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, now I want you to notice what he says to Thomas. Then he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. That's kind of creepy if you ask me. That's a little morbid there, trippy stuff. And place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And, and here is one of the most profound scripture texts in the whole of the Bible. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to take you through the story of Thomas and just draw some points out that I really believe are relevant for all of us in this room, but in particular for maybe those of you who struggle, 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 being, being skeptical. Maybe you've gone through a season of doubt in your walk with Christ, or maybe you're here and you love Jesus, but it seems like Jesus checked out on you. It seemed like he moved to another planet. He's taken up residence somewhere else, and that residence is far from you, and his presence and the reality of his presence seems distant to you. I want to assure you today, he's here. But he's not only here, wherever you are, he's there really close, closer than your skin, closer than your breath, right at hand. And He loves you and calls you beloved. He's after you. And we're going to see in the life of Thomas ourselves. So that's what I want to do is let, let's place ourselves in the story, use your holy imagination, and let's go there together. Amen? So the first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus lives and is near us when we're alone. Thomas wasn't with them when Jesus came. And if you read between the lines here, it seems to imply, imply a unnatural absence. The other disciples were hiding together and afraid to be in public. Remember, they're afraid for their lives. And yet Thomas was out of fellowship. It seems Thomas was alone. And the question we ask is, was he bitter? Was he disillusioned? Was he hiding? Had Thomas withdrawn from his friends for a time? His absence is a great illustration for the importance of being with the people of God, for it's then that Jesus appears. You know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes I'll meet people who maybe used to be a part of our church and they've left and they've been gone for a while. And, and there, there's a number of reasons why people leave churches, but I'll, I'll run into them and Many times I find myself sad because I'm looking at what God's doing in our church right now. We're going through a beautiful season. We're seeing many people coming to Christ and being reconciled, and people are, are really getting touched by God, and we're, we're a part of times where Jesus is visiting people. He's coming to His people, gathered in His name. And then I think about people outside of fellowship, and I'm like, you're, you don't understand what you're missing. I know you're hurt. Something happened, something disappointed you, you got disillusioned, something happened that displaced you. But you have to understand, Jesus shows up when his people are gathered. And if we're not with them many times, we miss those moments. You're probably sitting here thinking, that's just a plug for you to get me back to church. And you would be right. See, Thomas wasn't with his friends, but Jesus was still present with him, even though he wasn't aware of him. 
And then the second thing I want you to notice is that Jesus lives and is near us when we express our doubts. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You know, Thomas doubted, even though 10 of his best friends were declaring that Jesus had appeared to them. Some have tried to discount his doubt as a small thing, but I think to God it was noteworthy. The scriptures indicate that the other disciples also doubted, but without the weight of evidence that Thomas had presented to him. At least 13 eyewitnesses at this point, the 10 disciples and the three women had seen Jesus. And though Thomas doubted, he wasn't gripped by the disease of unbelief. And this is the difference. Unbelief is the denial of truth when we are looking right at it. Jesus came to heal Thomas's doubt. Nevertheless, Jesus addressed his doubts. And I want to look at that. He addressed his doubts because Jesus lives and he comes nearest to address our doubts. Verse 26 and 27, eight days later, later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with him. And although the doors were locked, Jesus could, uh, came, I can't talk. That's all folks. Okay, here we go. Jesus came and stood among them and said, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. See, this is profound. Jesus appeared suddenly in their midst and addressed Thomas as though he was listening to Thomas' words eight days before. Of course, he was. Jesus is everywhere present because he's God. Jesus is listening when we express our doubts, and he loves us anyway. He's here right now. You know, when I was praying about this message, the thing, and this is, I'm going I'm to share a preacher's dilemma with you. Here's the preacher's dilemma. Sometimes something in you, you're reading the text and you're seeing it and you're experiencing it and with everything in you, you're like, I want people to really see this, experience it, feel it. And you recognize that words are inadequate and no matter how excited you get about it, you can't make someone understand it. Sometimes I just wish I could take the truth of scripture and the truth of what I'm wanting to preach and I could grab your head and I could go, but that would be weird. Right? And, and if you've ever spoken publicly about things that are this important, you understand my dilemma. I, with everything in me, I want you to understand something. He is alive. But not just in a theological sense. Not just in this, you know, intellectual, we know it's true. Not just in this belief sense. But he is alive practically. He is alive materially. He is alive in a manifest way, and he is in this room right now. Like, if God was to grace us with an open vision and show us what's really going on, like when Elijah asked God to open his servant's eyes, he said, God, open my servant's eyes so he'll see that there are more with us than there are with them. And suddenly, Elisha's servant's eyes were open and he saw these armies of fire all around the hills around him and he understand, understood that the angels, the, the Lord of hosts and all of his armies were surrounding them. And we don't understand, but right now in this room, the living, resurrected Jesus Christ and his host of angels are around us. And you say, well, wait a minute, are you saying we're special? Yes. 
No, but he's, he can be here and he can physically reveal himself in Africa or Asia or anywhere else he wants to. He's not bound by time. He's not bound by matter, by space. He, he transcends our realm. He's above and beyond it, within it, surrounding it. Everything is filled with him. Colossians tells us he's the glue of all of creation. He's what's holding it all together. He's what's keeping the planets from flying apart. You say, no, it's gravity. I say, Jesus is gravity. He's the all in all. He's here right now. And here's the beautiful reality to that. You might be here and you desperately need the risen Christ to touch your life, to speak hope to you, to heal that thing that's twisted inside of you. You might be a cynical heart. You might be a disappointed and disillusioned heart. You might be a person that's here today and you don't know what you are doing here. And you're thinking while I'm speaking, this is uncomfortable and if I can find an exit, I'm going to. And I want to say to you that God knows all of that and He loves you and He's after you. And that discomfort you're feeling is because He, he wants to rescue you from that thing that's been destroying your life. Amen. Amen. And then we see here in this text that Jesus lives and now offers something so powerful in our time, His peace to us. He came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And in the text that we read, he says, peace be with you three times, three different times. And we know that people today are desperate for peace. Let me tell you, if you could bottle up peace and sell it, you'd be a billionaire. You could, you could never keep it resupplied, of course, unless your peace was in Christ, but you know my point. You think about it. Right now in this room, some of you, let's be honest, some of you are filled with anxiety. Your head's here, there, and everywhere. You're thinking about after church. You're thinking about tomorrow. You're thinking about your job. You're thinking about next week. You're thinking about what happened last night, last week. You're thinking about the fact that you can't pay your bills or the doctors told you that you have this physical ailment and you might not live. You are faced with all these anxieties and they're swirling around you. Some of you are here and you didn't feel that until I just said it. <laughs> so you're welcome. Right? And yet, Jesus is standing here in this room next to you, and he's offering you his peace. And the beautiful thing, that word shalom in the Hebrew isn't just, you know, the lack of conflict, lack of anxiety, but it, it captures the idea of overall wellness and wholeness of being, peace and joy and, and, and rightness, rightness with the world, rightness with relationships, rightness with each other and with God. And Jesus stands in front of us and he offers us peace. And the reality is that true peace can only come to the human soul when it's finally at peace with God. When we quit being at war with him, quit being rebels, quit doing our own things. Listen, you were made to run on the fuel of God. You weren't created to be self-generated, self-sufficient. You were created for union with God and out of that union would come the life that you need to live. 
You don't lose your personality. You don't lose who you are. It all gets enhanced. In fact, you really find who you are. I was talking to a woman that's a part of our church, and at 60 years old, this is for service, 60 years old, she finally came to faith in Christ. And she would tell you, my life before that was a wreck, and I made a wreck of my family relationships, and I hurt my kids, and I made a mess, and now Jesus has so transformed my life, and she's a part of our church, and most of it's happened here as a part of this church family. She says, Jesus has so transformed my life, and before I met him, I didn't even know who I was. But now that I know him, I'm learning all kinds of things about myself and discovering all kinds of things about myself because your identity lies in God. And when you are rightly reconciled with him and when you come to know him and come to peace in him, you find out who you really are. You discover gifts and talents and abilities. You discover the beauty inside you because God created you and God put that inside of you and you will never be the person you were created to be without him. Amen. The next thing that happens is Jesus lives and now offers his healing wounds to us. His healing wounds, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Listen to this next part. By his wounds, You have been healed. You know, when Thomas saw Jesus' wounds, he knew that they were the wounds that could heal a doubting heart and soul. Thomas knew that Jesus' hands inside were the evidence of ultimate love. Go ahead, Thomas, and touch him. Your skepticism is healed there. Your wounded heart is healed there. Your disillusionment is healed there. And even now, Jesus' wounds... Heal our bodies, our minds, our souls, our hearts. Jesus' wounds still heal right now. The living Christ is here, and he's reaching out his hands to you, and he's showing you his side, and he say, where, where do you need my touch? Where are you broken? What is wrong in you that needs my touch and my healing? I offer it to you freely. And you know, I felt like I was supposed to do something at this point of the service, like we were supposed to stop and invite Jesus to come and heal us with his wounds. And I mean, whatever affliction you have, whether it's mental illness, whether it's emotional trauma and abuse, maybe you've been going through counseling and something has come up in that therapy and you see a part of your life that's broken and wounded and you can't, you're stumbling right now, you're limping and you can't get through life and it keeps coming up and messing you up and my word to you is Jesus is here with his wounds today and I'm not saying it'll be instantaneous and I'm not saying that all we have to do is say a little prayer and everything will be okay. For some of you, it's gonna be a process that's gonna take months, years, I don't know but I'm telling you, there are some of you in this room that today is your day. That a convergence, a crossing of things has happened. And it's the day that you get touched by him. And we know, because we've seen it literally thousands of times, Jesus still heals bodies. He still heals minds. And he heals emotional wounds and mental wounds and rejections and relational wounds. He heals it all. Amen. Amen.